Hi, this is Mary Kay's Positivity Podcast. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher and life coach. I'm also author of several self-help books. Mary Kay's Positivity Podcast is about strategies to think positively every day. We will cover relationships, positive energy, the power of attraction, and how to mindfully experience each day so that you can become your best self. I want to introduce my guest today, Joni Geltman. She is the author of the best-selling book, A Survival Guide to Parenting Teens, talking to your kids about sexting, drinking, drugs, and other things that freak you out. I'm talking with Joni Geltman, the author of the best-selling book, A Survival Guide to Parenting Teens, talking to your kids about sexting, drinking, drugs, and other things that freak you out. Joni Geltman is a prominent parenting expert who provides home-based parent coaching, speaks publicly on issues related to child development and parenting, and has been helping children, teens, and parents for over 40 years. So I wanted to talk to you today about anxiety with these young adults. I just remember from my own childhood how I always look like I was doing very well in school and socially felt very confident. But I remember when I was in a biology class and the teacher pulled me over after class and she had noticed that I was picking out my nails the whole time. And I wasn't aware of it, but she just pulled me aside and she said, is everything okay at home? And it was really the first and only person that thought, I might be struggling. And so I remember really feeling like someone cared, like my own parents didn't even notice, but I actually had not been getting any sleep because my room had butted my parents' room and and they fought a lot. Since I was listening. Right. And so I remember always wanting to protect my younger siblings from any of that so that they didn't worry. And as the oldest child, I I probably took on more worry than I needed to. So I actually can see that in children easily because I was there. And we didn't have social media or any other stressors. So I can't even imagine having other things on top of that. But what do you tell parents to look for with kids and teens with stress and anxiety? Well, I think when kids start to feel anxiety, they, first of all, it is a state of loneliness. I'll kind of just start there is that sometimes kids are feeling something. They don't even know that it's anxiety, which is why parents don't know about it. I mean, depression might be, oh, um, my boyfriend broke up with me or I didn't get into the college that I wanted to get into or my friends have uh, ignored me. Depression is a little bit easier to see because maybe if it's a girl, they might be crying. There are a lot more outwardly signs of depression. Anxiety starts with a physical feeling. Like you were talking about this sort of unconscious nail picking. Mm -hmm. It's a physical thing so that a kid might almost feel there's something physically wrong with them as opposed to I have this state of agitation. When a kid has a first panic attack, they feel like they're dying. The kids don't attach it to I'm feeling anxious. It's like I'm having this feeling 
And it's terrifying because anyone who's ever suffered from serious panic attacks or even just minor agitation, you feel so out of control. So that's why it doesn't get communicated to parents because, and, and it's embarrassing, like kids wouldn't even know to tell their friends about it. I mean, anxiety is this hidden state where most kids don't have the language to say, here's what I'm feeling. And so kids might be having trouble sleeping. Kids might uh, not want to go to school. They may say that they're feeling sick or they might call early to come home. They may be not eating as much. Sometimes people who are feeling anxious, eating makes them feel sicker. They it just, mm -hmm. they feel kind of nauseous, so they don't want to be eating. Yeah, definitely. So it's, it feels really physical. So it's very hard for a parent, and I, I feel for parents in this because the, the signs could be a million things. So you wouldn't necessarily say, oh, are you feeling anxious? But yet I've been teaching at Curry for, for a very long time, and I have a lot of freshmen in the beginning of the semester, so the students are 18, and I ask them, are there any issues that you want to let me know about? I teach psychology, so I feel it's appropriate. I ask them, are there any issues you're dealing with that you feel I should know about so I can help you be successful in class? And out of my 60 students for a semester, two-thirds of them had anxiety down. I have panic attacks. I had trouble with school the year before. I missed so many days. Sometimes I'll be too afraid to come to class a high percentage. Oh, it's terrible. And other colleagues of mine in other schools have seen it. I had a kid who like wasn't coming to class a lot and she was very bright and she seemed very motivated. And I said, what's going on? You're missing a lot of class. You're coming very late. And finally, she acknowledged that sometimes I drive to campus and then I sit in the car and I can't come in. My anxiety can also be organic, meaning if there's a history of, of anxiety in your family, it is organic sometimes. It's not like, oh, I'm anxious because I'm worried about getting in college. There's that anxiety, which mm -hmm. we call situational anxiety. And that's easier to deal with because parents sometimes can anticipate those questions rather than waiting for kids to get anxious. They can get ahead of the curve and say, I know this is going to be a really stressful time for you. I know you're going to feel really pressured. How can I help you with that? or if it's finals or midterms or they have a big paper that's due or maybe they're a kid who is somewhat shy and introverted and they have a big project that they have to do publicly. A parent can anticipate that knowing what their kid's personality style is saying, I know this is really hard for you. What scares you about doing that? Those are conversations that feel easier because they're issue specific. Mm -hmm. And sometimes parents aren't even aware of that. One of the things I tell parents to do is to really sit back and, and think about who their kids are and what are things that you've watched as a parent over the years in your kids that you could see some kind of patterns. And then when they get to adolescence or young adulthood, they are going to, those, those issues will become more pronounced because the, the teenage brain is geared for high emotional reaction, feeling fe their feelings a hundred times more strongly than they've ever felt before. So one thing that parents can do is anticipate what are going to be the things that their kids specifically are going to have difficulty with. If they are a kid who has a hard time making transitions, then that freshman in college, it's going to be hard for them. And so sometimes parents go, oh, it'll be so wonderful. And you make all these new friends and they try to sugarcoat 
and and so that then their kids are afraid to come to them to say, I'm scared to leave home. I'm scared that no one will like me. I'm scared I'm going to get homesick and be crying all the time. I'm scared. And so oftentimes parents in their effort to make kids feel better don't address the anxiety because they're afraid that if they're planting seeds in their kids' heads instead of understanding that the seeds are already there. Right. And the seeds are already there and they're just and they're just staying they just haven't sprouted yet but they're rumbling around and so i always think parents do have good gut feelings about their kids and they do know them but they have to take conscious time out to sit back and say here's a situation that's coming up what do i know about my kid and what do i know they're going to be feeling about that and how can I help them articulate some of those feelings and get them out of their head? Because that's what happens with anxiety. Right. It's, it's in your head. It is. And I remember I teach yoga and a group of girls came up to me and they said, we're going to college next year and we would just really love to talk to you about what it's going to be like. And mm -hmm. we went out to lunch and, and I said, one thing you have to realize is that everyone feels the same way everyone's looking for that friend to connect with. And you might connect with a lot of people that don't end up being your best friend, but everyone wants to connect right away. And so it won't f feel as lonely as you expect it to be. But also don't have an expectation. Don't have an expectation, I've got to have five friends or I've got to be in this group. Just go into it really relaxed and then everything will fall into place. But when we go into things with, anxiety and expectations, it's really hard to attract good people. And I think they mm -hmm. aren't even aware of their mindset and what it can attract. But I think that a lot of teens who have breezed through school with great grades and model behavior, they get to college with these expectations. And then when it doesn't meet it, they're ready to transfer. They're ready to come home. And I see that a lot now where that didn't exist when we were younger. You stayed in your college, whether but it was But I, I think part of what we do as parents now is that many parents are very, very involved in their kids' lives. And they're very close to the kids and not all kids, but when I am teaching and I ask my students what their relationships are with their parents, I often hear, oh, my mom is my best friend. That is a lovely and wonderful thing. There's nothing that feels better to a parent than to be their daughter's best friend. It's so fulfilling and it's so warm and cozy. But the problem is sometimes what that does is then make that child more dependent on the relationship they have with whichever parent they have that relationship with and that they've always used them as their problem solver. No. What do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? And then those kids become very dependent on their parent. They don't have enough confidence in their own abilities right. to make good decisions. So I, what I see in my college students is that, you know, I, I'll say, how many times do you speak to your parents a day? Some of them are texting with their parents multiple times a day, many, many times a day. And these are kids who do have good friends and are part of, of, of the college life, mm -hmm. but they have no confidence. I mean, when you get to college, you should be taking more charge of your ability to make decisions on your own. And there is a dependence. And this is why I think there is a lot more anxiety now about separation and about moving on with one's life because 
parents have enjoyed this codependence of making decisions. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's daily decisions. I hear them, I'll be in the hallway before we can get into the classroom. And I can tell they're talking to, mostly it's their mothers. And I hear them, the conversations, and they are asking them about the most inane, small little you know, micro decisions of a day. You know, do you think I should do X, Y, Z? Or should I have lunch now? Should I have lunch later? I mean, some of it is (laughs) really, really small things. And so I think the anxiety when kids leave for colleges is, oh, my God. And because we can stay so connected, I don't know about you, but I spoke to my mother every Sunday because I had to. (laughs) (laughs) Same. You know, whether I liked it or not, I went to the payphone. I'm old. And every Sunday, 9 o'clock, and that, that we sort of kept with that my whole life. I was like, oh, it's Sunday. Got to call my mom. Right. Um, I never went to my mom for advice. That would have been yeah. the last person. Oh, I never went to my mother for advice ever. I loved no. her. But I yeah. my friends were my... But that's really shifted now because yes. parenting is is very, very different now. And we have this... It's not really an authoritarian model of parenting now. I mean, there are some... But it's not like parents are up high and kids are down low. That's not the nature of parenting. Things have really changed over time. And so now it's what we call authoritative parents where they encourage uh, compromise. And mm-hmm. it's not just like, here are the rules and you better follow them. Certainly there are some families that are like that, but there's much more engagement than we had with our parents. And they were way hands off, except like very concrete things. You have to be home at 11 o'clock. You better get this on your report. It was very n- not emotional. And we're very emotionally connected to our kids. Yeah. So the danger of being too emotionally connected is that we don't give them the confidence to be able to manage their life. And that's where a lot of anxiety uh, at that early adulthood, later adolescent stage comes from because there is a societal expectation that you're supposed to know what you want to do. We used to have the luxury of college as being an exploration time, a time to try things out, figure out what you want to do. Most kids didn't have, I want to be this. You were able to explore a little. And now because education is so expensive, we don't have that kind of luxury anymore. And so kids feel that panic of this is how much we can afford and it. They know it's costing their family a lot of money and they know that uh, they're incurring a lot of debt themselves and they don't want to waste their time. But I don't really like what I'm doing and I don't know what else. And, And so all these thoughts are just rolling around in their heads. That's situational anxiety and a lot of that at this age. Right. So it's separation, having to make life choices. Not everybody is in a financial position where their parents are able to help them. When I graduated from college, I moved away from home and never went back. But I would say 90% of my college students will live at home when they graduate. Yeah. Because wow. they, they can't afford, their families cannot afford for them to, to give them the money to be able to get right. an apartment. Right. That's a very different scenario than it used to be. So then again, having to rely on our parents for things that the expectation should be that you separating from them. And that causes a lot of angst, I think, for kids. And when I'm working with kids, we work on developing intuition, because that is really why they're going to their parents. They just don't trust their own intuition. They don't even hear it. They don't see it. For instance, women will get on an elevator with a man and be like, 
he's sketchy. There's something about him that's sketchy. But instead of being rude and jumping off, they'll go up in the elevator with someone that's sketchy. And in teaching these kids to really trust that instinct and someone's sketchy, get off right away. Don't worry about offending them. Mm -hmm. And it's the same idea when you're in relationships. They will ask their mom or their friends, what do you think of him? What do you think of him? You have to go on that vibe that Mm -hmm. he has. That's an energy that he has. So I think the first question, how a parent can help with that yes I think again when parents are asked for their opinions oh my god my kids coming to me and asking me for help I I feel so good what parents need to do at least for the first response is well what do you think right right so it's all in the beginning it should be a parent parents have life experience they do have a lot to offer their children in terms of advice Mm -hmm. but if we're working towards as you say developing intuition and confidence Confidence, and the way we do that is by expecting that they can make the decisions. So when they come to you, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I'd say, then the parent needs to say, well, let's play it out. What's the worst thing that could happen? What's the best? It becomes a process of, of turning the questions back on your kid and helping them to make those decisions rather than saying, well, here's what I think you should do, which I think is the more natural response. response training. It's just the more you do it, the more you do it. It can start really, really young. I work with parents of kids of all ages, and oftentimes parents will be out at a restaurant with the kids, and the kids will say, what do you think I should get, Mom? And these are teenagers. Yeah. I don't know. Order whatever you want. But lots of parents say, well, you you always like the hamburger here. Why don't you get the hamburger? So every time parents do those kinds of quick answers, which A, are faster, and B, they just want to get it done, Mm -hmm. then they answer for them. So this takes a lot longer. So if you're a parent who has a little impatience and you just want to give them the answer and have it be done, this process of putting it back on them, asking questions where they have to really do some thinking. And and oftentimes kids won't like that. This is an instantaneous generation we live in. Mm -hmm. And they're used to Googling their answers. They're used to instantaneous gratification. And that's part of what anxiety we're seeing in this younger, this new generation is that making decisions takes work and time. Mm-hmm. And to sit in your, the mire of not knowing is very uncomfortable. And because of their ability to avoid their feelings with all the social networking and, and distractions they can muster, their brains don't get that time to just go, let me play this out. Let me think about this. Let me take a walk and think. <laughs> Kids don't do that anymore. A lot of what I think is creating this anxiety is no time for calm and no time. That's why I love that you're doing meditation and yoga because it's teaching kids to feel safe with themselves and their ability to work something through. I do meditation with my psychology class. It's five minutes. We start every class with a five minute guided uh, visual uh, oh, that's meditation. Great. Yeah. Oh my God. They can hardly stand it. Can oh. hardly stand it. They love it. They, or they love it or they really don't. No, they're terrified. Oh, terrified. really? Wow. Yeah. They can't keep their eyes closed. They're embarrassed. I have them write about it all during the semester. By the end of the semester, they have finally gotten comfortable with it. I'm talking five minutes with their eyes closed. But in the beginning of the semester, they are terrified of the quiet. 
they're so agitated. They actually, it makes them more agitated is what they've told me. Mm-hmm. Then by the end, it becomes part of the routine and we do it at the beginning of every single class. And then they start to look forward to it. But it's a process because they, they haven't been taught how to do that. And so a lot of kids, they feel so grateful. Now they have this tool when they start to feel that inside agitation it's a, such an uncomfortable feeling to be in. And yeah. they're learning ways to self-comfort that aren't pot, which is a great right. way. And right. that's why kids are smoking so much pot because it's uh, people with anxiety, it's their best friend. Right. It's so true. And I remember a few years ago when I went to work with this group of depressed teens at a high school and I went into the classroom and they were so upset I was there. It was hysterical. They go, we don't want to do yoga and meditation. Why is she here? They verbal about how much they hated that I was there. And so I said, listen, I hated yoga the first time I did it too. Just give me one chance. They basically didn't know what it was. When I was able to help them to just slow down, calm down, and we did yoga and then longer meditation, they didn't even know it was possible to relax all their muscles and then feel this peaceful stillness. They had no idea how to do it. And by the time I left, they were like, can you come every day? It was the total opposite introduction. It was funny. Anyway, I totally uh, agree with that idea. A lot of times they're afraid to be quiet and to sit with themselves and be still. There's so much they can actually do for themselves and attracting positive people and positive experiences just by clearing all that noise in their head. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is that they may not have a model for it. Not all families are built to be introspective and feeling oriented and you may not be your family style of how they deal with emotions. What you, the, the the parent model is for how they deal with their own emotions will also affect how their kids then learn to handle emotion. And modeling is extremely important. I work tell parents a lot that if that isn't their comfort level, they they also need to practice using feeling language about themselves, not laying it on your kid that they're supposed to have take care of you. It's not that, but maybe you got really angry because you had a terrible day at work or something and you come home and your kid left their jacket on the floor. Now, how many times have I told you not to let your jacket on the floor? You know, <laughs> and then that starts a whole cycle of anger. And then what I tell parents is that then to go back and say, Hey, I'm sorry I reacted that way. I had a lot of tension at work today and I can see it made me feel shorter when I get home and I'm sorry. And so then what parents then are teaching is that I have these emotions and here's the behavior that happens when I feel this way and I'm showing you what that was. And sometimes we react without purpose because our feelings overwhelm us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, parents will say kids to kids a lot. Well, I, if you had a bad day, don't take it out on me. Don't say <laughs> it to kids, right? Yet that's where um, they're learning it, right? Right. But I think anxiety is, is a tough one because it's not something you see on the outside. So and, it is and, really yeah. hard. Right. Yeah. I had a question about perfection. I see a major yeah. stressor about young adults 
having this false idea for a need to be perfect all the time. And I see a lot of anxiety built around the idea of perfection. What are your thoughts on perfection and how can they change this mindset? I think the first step is recognition is to be able to identify, I see myself as a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. They have to own that and and then be motivated to to work on it. That's something that will just go away. It has to be acknowledged. It it takes a lot of um, insight and motivation to know that that isn't making their life better by trying to be the best. I think being the best at is a message that they have to work through. What happens if I don't get the A on the paper? It's helping them to see worst case scenario. There's something called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is challenging irrational thoughts. Mm -hmm. And being a perfectionist is an irrational thought because truthfully, maybe there, if you're a doctor doing surgery, you better be a perfectionist. Right. You know, I, don't, I don't want anybody working on me who's not a perfectionist. You know, right. Right. So there, there are certain things in life that we need people to be perfect at because there is no room for error. But then it's deciding what are things that we don't need to be. So I think it's helping them to say, yes, you're right. Some things we need to be perfect about. Do you need to look perfect every day? What would happen if you didn't? I was just talking to a one of my students yesterday. I had just had them watch a documentary about adolescence and about the, all these kids in, in high school. And one of the girls said, oh, one of the girls from the film really reminded me of this girl at my high school who kept a notebook of all the outfits she wore to school and would never repeat an outfit. Oh, wow. Can you imagine? I mean, talk about perfectionism, right? Right. This wasn't my student. This was a kid that she knew. Right. I can never leave my go to school if kids have already seen what I'm wearing. Mm -hmm. Well, what's the worst thing that would happen if you didn't take a perfect picture? Let's, Let's and have them kind of experiment with that. But one thing, just because I I see perfectionism as a problem with a lot of kids, and you try not to model these behaviors because kids just imitate everything they see. We would celebrate each other's failures. And I would ask them, how did you fail this week? Tell us how you failed today and celebrate failure. Because when you celebrate failure... It's not scary. And a lot of people that are perfectionists, what they're afraid of is the mm-hmm. outcome and their expectations of the outcome. But well, that's what I'm t- saying. And some of those outcomes are irrational, right? Right, they're, right. Like there's, there's this unknown, unknowing of if it's not perfect, something bad will happen. And so you kind of want the bad thing to happen so you can say, oh, yeah, oh. That was okay. But it's experience. Experiencing being not perfect intentionally. Right. Literally setting yourself up to do something. I I would never hand a paper in like this because it's not perfect, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right. And then see see what happens. You start with things that are less scary to do. The failure piece is less valuable. It doesn't carry as much weight. It is, is, it's practice. It doesn't make me feel good to be a perfectionist. Acknowledgement. I'm going to choose some things to do that I normally would make myself crazy about and now I'm going to see what that feels like 
to not be, have it be perfect and then have developed some experience of, oh, this doesn't feel as bad as I thought it was going to feel. I remember being in an art class in college and I was working on this plate and I was so proud of this plate and I thought, oh my gosh, this is a masterpiece and I put it in the kiln and in the kiln it blew up. <laughs> And part of the plate landed on the other part of the plate. And so when it came out, I was so sad. I was like, just going to give it away. I didn't think anything of it. Semester, she does an art show. And the teacher asked me, Mary Kay, I wanted to enter one of your pieces in the art show. And I'm thinking, I have nothing. <laughs> and she wanted the plate that blew up in the kiln. And I thought, that's mm-hmm. really interesting that I saw it as a huge failure because I it was perfect. And she saw it as so much more interesting and mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have made the art show if it had been perfect. So art's a great way mm-hmm. to really let go of yeah. perfectionism. I think that there are parents who also have very, very, very high expectations for their kids. I had a student last semester who got a B plus on a big paper. It was, it was a really good paper. It wasn't a perfect paper, but it was still really good. And she got the paper back and she looked devastated. And I said, what's the matter? You look really upset. And she said, my dad's going to be really mad. And I said, why? And she said, because it's not an A. He doesn't understand if I don't get an A in everything. I didn't change the grade, but this was great paper. I mean, A papers are rare. I don't give a lot of straight A papers. But she was afraid to go home and tell her dad. And she was a college student. Mm -hmm. I I work with a lot of parents who they're like, my kid is really bright. They should be getting all A's. And I said, well, that's just an unrealistic expectation. If they're doing other things in their life and they have interests other than academics, I would rather see a kid have a balanced life than have this pressure to have to give an A on a platter. Mm -hmm. And um, so sometimes it's a parent stepping back and saying, am I overexpecting here? Am I putting pressure on my kid? to a lot of kids don't want to disappoint their parents. They feel very worried about that. Mm -hmm. So that sort of drives them. So there's the expectations that are from other people. Then there's self expectation. Then there's the fear of what does that failure feel like? Because there's so many levels of failure. Some failures are more painful than others. That's realistic. If you lose a job because you didn't do what you're supposed to do, in a healthy way, you'd say, I screwed up and I paid the consequences and I'll survive and I learned something new that I can take with me to the next job. Right. And then there are the things like having to look perfect every day or worrying about your weight or not handing a paper in. I mean, there's so many kids I know are late handing papers in because they don't feel as good enough. And so if they just keep avoiding, right. then if they get a bad grade, then it's not because it wasn't perfect. It was because it was late. I had a funny conversation with my daughter once. She went to a great college, and she said, yeah, in English, the, the professor asked me to read my essay aloud. And I said, wow, it must have been really good. And she goes, actually, it wasn't. I think, though, it was the only one whose parent hadn't written it. <laughs> oh, God. And I was yeah. like, wow. And And I said, well, how do you know that? And she said, because the students told me. And Mm -hmm. I thought, that is a scary statement today. Mm -hmm. If there's no shame in having Mm -hmm. your parents write your essays, why are we in college letting parents write your essay? Well, look at the whole college scandal that just happened. Exactly true. It's very important for parents, I call them look in the mirror moments, Mm. where they take a moment and say, 
either ask their kids, is there anything I'm doing that is creating anxiety for you or creating pressure for you? And is there anything that would be helpful for me to, to look at and do differently? And if parents don't feel comfortable enough to do that with their kids, then it's also just stepping back and saying, are you fighting with your kids more? Are they avoiding you more? Do they just go up to the room and never want to talk to you? That's a sign <laughs> that something's not working, right, right? Right. If a child is really avoiding contact with their parents, rather than getting into a power struggle about it, as you're part of the family and you're having a family dinner and you come down and you eat with us and, you know, it becomes that kind of a thing mm -hmm. as to say, I see that you're avoiding being with us. Is there something that I'm doing that makes you not want to be here? Yeah. You get a dialogue going. That's a way of parents saying, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I'm sure I do things that piss you off and turn you away and make you not want to be with me. I'd like to know what those are so I can work on them. I see parenting as a, a whack-a-mole game. When you think you got everything <laughs> under control and all the moles are down and then all of a sudden another one pops up from somewhere else and, and now we're in the coronavirus and that's a mole that no one ever experienced right. before and popped right. up and it's just a constant struggle to kind of keep things somewhat calm. It's a hard job. Well, I really appreciate your time and great energy and helping young people. If you want to talk about your blog so people can learn more about what you do and contact information, that would help. I give lots of seminars to schools. I go into companies during lunchtime. I have a whole menu of seminars. I have one called Adolescent Psychology, the Parent Version. I have uh, Understanding Your Child's Temperament, Joni's Top 10 Parenting Tips. And then I also do private parent coaching. Like I'm having trouble my, with my kid on XYZ. Here's what you can do about it. So it's a problem-solving approach. Oh, they can contact me at Joni at JoniGeltman.com. Right. And that's Joni, J-O-A-N-I at J-O-A-N-I-G-E-L-T-M-A-N.com. Thanks for joining us for a short meditation. I want you to think about three negative emotions that you might have. And take these emotions and try to release them out of your body. Just imagine them lifting up and falling away. Feel the energy moving up your spine and let that intense energy leave your body <clears throat> out through the top of your head. I want you to take a deep breath in and a long breath out. Now try to encompass the feeling of joy, calm, confident energy, happiness, gratitude. Let it fill your body. Imagine being this joyful person. You can smile. Now I want you to, as you're seated in a comfortable space, lift up your perineum. That's where you would go to the bathroom. So just like lift it up, squeeze the muscles, breathe normally. 
hold for five seconds, then let go and relax. And I want you to do it again. Inhale, squeeze, and then exhale. And a third time, holding it for about five seconds. Inhale, then relax again. So you're just trying to gain conscious control over these muscles, using them in a different way, contracting the same muscles in the perineum, and contract the muscles now in your lower abdomen. Pull your belly in, locking these first two centers. Hold for five seconds. Now exhale, relax. Repeat this again, inhale, locking in the perineum and at the same time, the belly muscles. And remember to keep breathing, exhale. One more time, inhale, squeezing the muscles of the perineum and the abdomen, tightening your core. And exhale. We're trying to liberate all that energy that's been stored in your body. Now take your finger and place it on the top of your head. Work your finger now right in the center of your scalp. Remember that point. Place your attention. Place your energy there. Now release. Put your hands down. Steady breath through your nose. Inhale. Exhale. Longer breath out. Just follow your breath. Inhaling. Breathing in from the perineum, lower abdomen. Exhale. Now inhale. Breathing all the way up to the top of your head. And then I want you to take your finger back to the top of your head and press into the top of your head. And then take it away so you can remember that point. Rest your hands by your sides. Inhale through your nose, pulling all that energy up through your body, all the way to the top of your head. When you get to the top of your head, hold the breath. Let your energy follow your awareness. Now relax, exhale. With this next breath, I want you to inhale through your nose, pulling the muscles up, locking the muscles in your perineum, engaging in your belly. Contracting all the muscles as you squeeze the muscles in each center with the intention of you're pulling that stored energy in the lower body into the brain. Follow your breath through each of those energy centers. And now pull it all the way to the top of your head. Keep your attention there. Hold your breath. And as you keep squeezing your core muscles, hold for 10 seconds and then relax as you exhale. Let it all go. And repeat that breath, tightening the muscles in all three energy centers, pulling the breath up the spine all the way to the top of your head. Then hold your breath there.
And when you're ready to exhale, relax. We're trying to pull the mind out of the body by inhaling, contracting the perineum, the belly, pulling it all the way up to the top of your head. Remember that point at the top of your head that you pressed. Holding the breath there. Now exhale, relax. Notice how calm your body feels. How safe you feel. When we're in a constant state of stress, we memorize those patterns. The body wants to continue the same patterns. So meditation helps us release those same patterns so we can form healthier ones with feelings of joyfulness, laughter, happiness, gratitude. Because eventually stress wears down the body so much that it eliminates our ability to repair, maintain health, build a strong immune system, depletes our energy. So we want to re-energize ourselves so that we have better experiences and more creativity. When you have really good energy, you have great creativity. Ideas come easily. Good people fall into your world. Continue to inhale, contracting the perineum all the way up the lower abdomen, upper, all the way to the top of the head. Now exhale, let it all release, relax, surrender. Visualize a giant bubble around your body. And imagine that this bubble protects you from any negative energy so that your energy is strong, expanding, not splattered. Be sure to subscribe to Mary Kay's Positivity Podcast, and I hope you'll join us again soon. Namaste.